Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Larry. I get to serve here in the area of ministries and mission for the church. Uh, Pastor Ray and his family are on a family vacation with the extended family this week. So I appreciate that he allows me to just preach today. And I'm thankful for him and for him, his leadership as our pastor. What a great time we're having as a church to see God doing some great things around us. We've been walking through this series on Joseph. And today we're going to find ourselves in chapter 45. Today we talk about this freedom, this freedom that we find in forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about this freedom that Joseph found as he forgave his brothers. Now we have just walked through a week, this July 4th week, our freedom as a nation and what that means. And we've talked about that. We've had fireworks. We've sing songs. We've had a, a great time this week, you know, with all the things. And it was hot, man. July 4th day was hot. But we still celebrated. We celebrated our freedom that we find in Christ and in our nation that makes the difference. And we're excited about all that God does in the middle of that. We know that as a nation, our freedom did not come easy, right? I mean, there was a lot of struggle a lot of problems, a lot of heartache, a lot of issues with that, lives that were lost, fortunes that were lost in order for us to have a nation that is free to be able to serve and worship God. And we know the freedom and the price that take that it took in order for us to have freedom. Well, that's true for our life in Christ too, right? So when we come and we talk about the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in worship, that we've been set free, well, that, that came as a price. That was not free in the sense of it just was given to us with no strings attached or anything about that, but it was the work of Christ on the cross. His pain, his suffering, his, his being willing to give himself as our sacrifice is why we can have the freedom that we have in Christ. And that's why we're celebrating. That's, that's what we know about who we are as believers that's how we come to the Bible. We look at the Bible and we look at these verses as we'll look at, at Genesis chapter 45. And we'll talk about Joseph being free to forgive his brothers and how as believers we're free to forgive other people. And that freedom comes out of relationship to Christ for us. It comes out of who we are in Christ. So if you have your Bible, maybe your phone or iPad, whatever you're using this morning, there's a, a Bible in the P-Rack in front of you. We, you can turn there to Genesis 45, the first book of the Bible, the 45th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one with you as our gift to you today, as you can study God's Word and read God's Word on your own and for yourself. We've also been praying this week about uh, the young men who are in the cave in Thailand. And we have been asking God, at least we have in our family, and asking God to do a work inside that. We have friends who serve in that country as missionaries. We've been able to talk to people. They're not close to them, but we just know that we've been praying for them. We, maybe you saw this morning that four of the young men have been able to come to freedom out of that. They haven't given any details about that. Amen. That's wonderful. It's fantastic. And we keep praying because there's several more to go, right? One of the dads I've already said to the coach you know, that soccer coach who led them in there, uh, who, who has to be struggling. They even said that in the news. But one of the dads already said to the coach, don't blame yourself for what's happened. That'd be hard for a dad, right? I mean, it'd be hard for all of us because there's always that part of us that wants to blame somebody else for what happens, right? We want to blame somebody else for what has occurred and, and what goes on. And, but the freedom that we're going to have to forgive other people that comes from Christ is a part of being able to recognize that God is at work in that. And that's what we want to look at in Genesis chapter 45. We want to see Joseph who has come to this place where he has been able to confront his brothers 
who threw him into slavery. And you might remember that story of Joseph, and that's how it goes, right? Joseph was 17 years old at the time. He is now 39. So 22 years have gone by. And it hasn't been easy for Joseph, right? He got thrown in the pit. And after that, he was sold to the Ishmaelites, who sold him to Potiphar. As he was sold for Potiphar, because he was a man of integrity, he ended up in prison, in jail. And there he uh, was in that place. And in that place, he heard the butler and the baker, and he interpreted their dreams. And one of them died, and one of them got sent to Pharaoh's court. Two years later, as that man was in, trying to interpret, uh, Joseph had his... Uh, Pharaoh had his dreams, right? And, and he couldn't have them interpreted. Nobody could interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. And the man said, oh, I remember back in prison, there was this guy who interpreted my dreams. His name was Joseph. Yeah, let's bring him up here. And Joseph then is able to explain all the dreams to Pharaoh. If he's had those seven years where they're going to have plenty, they need to gather everything together. Those seven years where they're going to have famine, that everyone's going to die. Pharaoh makes that proclamation. There's no one wiser than Joseph. We're going to put him in charge of everything. So as they go through this, they have those seven years of plenty. He never hears from his brothers. Uh, and then they have the year of famine. And two years into that, his brothers show up because Jacob, their dad, says, we're going to die. There's food in Egypt. Go get it. So they went to Egypt. They came before Joseph. Joseph recognized them as his brothers. He never told them that. Now, it's interesting, right? Because Joseph has been in this culture for 22 years. Uh, his, his language. You know, when he goes to Egypt as a young man, he, he didn't hear any Hebrew language. Nobody's speaking Hebrew. You know, it's not like that universal language. Uh, they're speaking their language. And so Joseph has to get inside that. He has to learn that. He has to know what that is. And so immersing himself in all that, when his brothers stand before him, they have no clue who he is. What was going through Joseph's mind? How was he hurting? What was happening to him? You know, he'd gone through 20 years of struggle and pain and hurt and, and loneliness and by himself and all the blaming of his brothers. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Why do they do that? But somewhere in the middle of that, somewhere in these last couple of years, when they come before him the first time, and then when he sends them off again with money in their sack and they go back to their dad, all that story is in chapter 43 and 44, they go back to their dad. And after a while, they don't have any food left and the dad sends them back. Right? And they said, well, Dad, if we go back, we have to take Benjamin. He didn't want to do that, but he gives in because if he doesn't, they're going to die. So here's Joseph now, 22 years, his brother standing before them. If you look at the Bible, at the end of chapter 44, Judah makes this incredible plea. He just, he just pours out his heart to Joseph. He tells Joseph all these things. And you can read what Judas says and all. He tells Joseph all these things about his family and his hurt. And Joseph hears inside that a repentant spirit from his brothers. And he breaks. Now, Joseph had walked through struggles. And I'm sure somewhere in the middle of that, he began to recognize that he had to forgive his brothers, and he does. And we find that in chapter 45. So if you have that in front of you, we're going to read that in a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Father, we would pray that your scripture today, your word, would speak to our hearts. What you had to say to us by your spirit would speak into our lives by using your word this morning to help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your listening guide in front of you, there are some things that we'll talk about this morning inside that. The first thing that I want us to see today 
is that freedom and forgiveness begins when we recognize that the heart of God is at work in our lives. Now, we see that from Joseph in this passage. We get a glimpse that Joseph recognizes that God's heart is at work, and that sometimes is the hardest thing for us. That sometimes is very difficult when we have someone who has wronged us or someone who's done something against us, and there's bitterness inside that and hurt inside that. The very hardest thing we have to deal with sometimes is to recognize that God is inside this. Now, why would we as believers, right, want to recognize that? Well, because the Bible teaches us as believers there's so much that we have to be thankful for in our forgiveness because God has forgiven us everything. We actually have life in Christ. That's what we sing about, right? That's why we worship, because the freedom that we have in Christ is the freedom that he has given us because he has forgiven us our sin so that we can have eternity with him. Now, he also forgives our sins as we continue to commit those sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the greatest happen when he forgives us of our sin and gives us new life in Christ, right? So Joseph is an example for us to recognize that God is at work and God's heart is at work, but we must recognize the heart of God. We must see the heart of God. Let's look at this passage together. In the very first verse of chapter 45, Joseph could no longer keep his composure. Man, he fell apart. He saw his brothers. And so he made his attendants leave. He sent them out. No one was around him. In verse 2, he was weeping so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. They had no clue what was going on because they don't speak Hebrew. They don't know what's happening. They don't know about this secret that he has. We have secrets in our lives? Absolutely we do. Nobody knew this secret except his brothers and Joseph. His dad didn't even know. Who had they told? Anyone at all? Had they told their wives? That, no, probably no one. It was like the secret that the brothers had, and they were holding on to it. Joseph, in verse 3, says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? At the end of verse 3, they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. They couldn't believe it. They were like, wait a minute. How can this be? You don't look like Joseph. You don't sound like Joseph. You're not in a place. The last time we saw you, you were being carried away by, by Ishmaelites to be a, a slave. How in the world could this be possible? Judah had been speaking eloquently in the last part of chapter 44. No one says a word until verse 16. These guys were speechless. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever, have you ever seen something and it's like, how in the world is this happening or, or what has happened in the middle of this? That's exactly where they were. They were terrified in the presence of Joseph. Then in verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near him. Well, they better come near him, right? He's, a, he's in all authority, so they had to. But why would he say to them, come near me? Well, maybe he wanted to look at them face to face. Maybe he wanted to get into their space and say, look, it is me. It's a secret that only we know together. And that's what he says. He says, come to me, and I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, he says three very important things right there. First of all, he identifies himself as Joseph. 
And now, all of a sudden, he's not the emperor. Matter of fact, he had an Egyptian name that everyone else knew him by. He wasn't known in that country by Joseph. Maybe no one knew his name as Joseph because he had a new name, right? It was a, an Egyptian name. But now he identifies himself as Joseph to them. All of a sudden, it becomes personal. Forgiveness always is personal. It always has to do with a person. It always has to do with someone who has wronged us. It always has to do with identifying who that is and what that is about because when it becomes personal is the only way we can recognize the heart of God at work in our own lives. Otherwise, it's just this kind of blanket thing, oh, God, forgive me for not forgiving other people. But when it becomes personal, when you look at it face to face, as Joseph made his brothers look at him face to face, Joseph had to recognize, do I really forgive these guys? Am I really forgiving them for what they have done to me and left me away from my family for 22 years. Am I really forgiving them? So he, he identifies himself as Joseph, and then he identifies himself a little bit further. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. Now it's not only personal of who he is, but now he's in relationship with them. I'm your brother. It always amazes me, and I, I know it's difficult because it's difficult for me too. It always amazes me, though, when brothers and sisters in church, in believers, right, who are in relationship with each other spiritually, have conflict and can't forgive each other. That is so hard. Because of anyone who should do that, it should be brothers and sisters in Christ. It should not matter their color. It should not matter their economic standards. It should not matter what they do. But they are in relationship. We are in relationship with each other. Matter of fact, we're going to spend eternity with each other. That's the kind of relationship we're in. And it's always interesting that knowing that we're going to spend the relationship of eternity with someone, forgiving someone on an earthly level seems to be so very hard for us to do. So difficult for us to do in that. Why? We must recognize that when we see the heart of the Father, it's also the relationship of the people around us. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what Joseph says. He says, I am your brother. We are in relationship together. That should make a difference. That should be a difference in our life. And then he goes on to identify what the problem is. You sold me into slavery. That's the problem. He identifies who he is. He identifies the relationship. And he identifies the wall that is between them. If we're going to have forgiveness to other people, we have to identify what the problem is. We have to be able to say, this is the issue. This is what I have to deal with. And Joseph knew his own heart, and he knew that he had struggled all these years of bitterness and, and resentment and struggles, but he knew that he had been sold into slavery, but he knew that he had forgiven them. And he tells us about that in this next verse. And now he says to them in verse 5, which may be on the screen, which may be right there that you're looking at, he says to them very clearly, and now... Now when? Now after I've identified myself, my relationship, and the problem, let me tell you this. And now, don't be grieved. That's the first word that we see there. Don't be grieved. The word grieved is the word sadness. Don't be sad about this. Don't be broken over this. Uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Koine Greek. A word that's similar in both of these is the word grieved. It means sadness. In the New Testament, a word where this word is used is when 
Paul says to us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit that's in you. Do not, do not make the Holy Spirit sad, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, because you have new life in Christ and you have been free. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Here, Joseph says to his brothers, do not be sad. Do not be sad over this. Why can they not be sad? When, of course, they're terrified. They don't know what's going to happen. Joseph then uses another word. He uses the word angry. Do not be sad or angry. Angry at what? Why would they be angry? They had done the, the hard thing. Joseph is the one who should be angry, but the word helps us because in the word, it tells us that this anger that he uses here in the context would say, don't be angry that you got caught. Now, that's a different story, right? Because when we do something and we're angry, some of that anger comes out of the fact that we got caught doing it. Not that we are embarrassed, we might be, or not that we regret it, though we might. But it comes out when it says, don't be angry that you got caught in them. And that's what he's really saying to these brothers. Don't be sad and don't be angry that you're caught in this. Why would he say that to them? Because, because he would say, on in this verse, and now don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, there it is, circle it, why? Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Here is very important. The word God, Elohim, has a, has a prefix at the beginning of it. It's H-A. It says Ha, Elohim, and it means the true God. Now, why would he say the true God has sent me? Because Egypt was full of false gods. They were everywhere. There were statues. There were, there were all kinds of false gods around them. We have false gods all around us. But here Joseph pulls them back and says, look, the true God, the one and only God. Another part of this verse that you would find this word used in the, in the fight with, with uh, the bells and Elisha on the mountain, Mount Carmel. The same way the true God in opposed to the false gods. We serve the true God. And this true God, he said, has done three things that are so important. What has he done? He has sent me. Joseph was the right person. Jesus was the right person. He says, God has sent me. He has sent me ahead of time. And he has sent me to preserve life. He has sent the right person at the right time for the right purpose. And that's valuable to us. Because you see, that's who Jesus is. That's why we forgive people. That's why the, the New Testament is, is listed with so many verses that talk about us being free to forgive those around us. Why? Because Jesus was the right person at the right time for the right purpose. What purpose? To give us liberty, to give us freedom, to give us freedom to do what? To give us freedom to forgive other people. Man, that is just an amazing kind of thing to look and see how he, he this verse, I believe this verse in the Old Testament is one of, those, one of those key verses that points us in the Old Testament to Jesus. It's already given us that whole idea. He has been sent. He has been sent to deliver us. God had this intended so that we in this room could come to Christ, so that we in this room could know what it's like to have forgiveness of our sin, so we in this room could have that freedom to forgive others so that they might see Christ's love in us. Well, that's what he talks about in Colossians chapter 3. Matter of fact, the next part of our listening guide are seven reasons to forgive coming from the New Testament. 
I'm not going to walk through those simply for time's sake, but I hope you would take a moment sometime in this week to look at those because they are very important to us if we're going to forgive other people. And the last one that I've written, it expands your view of reasons you have been forgiven because if we can understand how God has forgiven us, then it's just a natural outflowing of his spirit that we might forgive other people around us. Second point this morning, freedom and forgiveness is when we remember that the future is in the hand of the heavenly father. Oftentimes we feel like we hold the future, yet he tells us here in these verses, the famine had been in the land two years in verse six, this is Joseph still talking. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. To keep you alive by a great deliverance. And one of the things that's very important to see in here as I walk through this passage, did these brothers sin? Did they do what was wrong against their brother? We would say, yeah, they did. In this verse, God never, never, never minimizes sin. Sin is real, and sin is what God hates. But what Jesus has done, he has neutralized sin for the believer. That makes all the difference. But that sin that is on us, that sin that would keep us away from him in eternity has been taken by Christ. And he tells us here in this verse, as Joseph said to these brothers, God sent me ahead of you to establish. Establish is that building place. It's a permanent place. It's what God is doing. Elizabeth and I drove to Harrodsburg, Kentucky yesterday, or Saturday, that was yesterday, to go to Fort Harrods, which is the first settlement established in Kentucky. They were, it's a state park. They were having a picnic in the park. Wasn't all we thought it would be, but it was fun, right? Just seeing the Ford and seeing the establishment and hearing the history behind that. It's kind of the word he uses right here, that he established a remnant so that they would, read that verse, so that they would have deliverance, that you would be kept alive by great deliverance. Now, remember this, Judah the man, the tribe, who is over in chapter 44 giving his great words to Joseph. Judah became the line, the genealogy genealogy of Jesus, right? Jesus comes out of the line of Judah. Now, why would God be able to preserve this great deliverance? Because he had a plan. He knew what he was doing. He had one plan and one plan only, and it was to send Jesus so that we might be delivered. Yeah, these guys were delivered, as was Jacob and his family and the tribes of Israel, and they lived in Egypt for 400 years under slavery at some point. All the stuff that was happening inside that for purpose, so that they might be delivered, so that we might, so that you might be delivered from your sin, a sin that would keep you away from the Father forever. But Jesus broke through that barrier. 
He tells us here, that's the future. God knows the future. God knows what is going to happen. God is at work in that. We believe that. We believe that God is at work in ways we don't understand, ways that we don't recognize sometimes, but even still, the future is in his hand. And as believers who follow the word of God, we stand on that truth. We live that out. Wherever we go, whatever we do, who we deal with, we have to live out the forgiveness of other people because he has forgiven us and he has a future for all of us. The third thing today, freedom and forgiveness, is when we respond to Jesus as our master in obedience to his direction. Responding to Jesus. Here he tells us as they walk through all this, Man, Joseph was doing so much, but in verse 9, he tells them what to do next. He says, return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of all of Egypt. God has done the work. And so that's really our response. Our response of obedience is being able to live out our life so that we forgive other people, so that in that they might recognize the heart of God that is love and see Christ in and through us. That sounds pretty simple. Man, but it's so stinking hard sometimes. There's a story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18. And he tells a story about these, this man who was a landowner, right? And this landowner... I had this man who, was, who, who owed him so much. He had so many things that he owed him. Owed him. And, and this man came into him and he was begging and pleading for his life and for this landowner to forgive him of all of his debts and all those things. And the landowner, out of gracious goodness, does that. He forgives him. The same man, Jesus tells in the story, goes out and finds the man who owes him so much. And this man who owes him so much, this man says, you have to pay me back. And, and this guy begs and pleads with him, I don't have it, I can't do it. And this man who had been forgiven a lot says to this man, sorry, I'm not forgiving you. Head off to jail to be paying in the debtor's prison. Well, word gets around, it always does. Word got around and back to this master that this guy had done this. And he brought this man back before him. And he basically said to him, why? Why would you do that? Why would you recognize that I have forgiven you so much, yet you won't forgive this man? That's a good question for us. Matter of fact, that parable starts off with Peter asking Jesus, Jesus, how much should I forgive someone? A few times? And Jesus says, no, it's more than that. Matter of fact, he gives him a number. He says 70 times 7, but don't get caught up on the number. Because Jesus' purpose was a whole lot more than number. It was a heart. A heart of surrender that says, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to love. I'm willing to bring myself before the heart of God to recognize his hand and to be obedient to him. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, that we as followers of Christ must surrender ourselves, our hearts to his heart, our hands to his hands, our obedience to him, and surrender ourselves so that we might forgive others far more than they may even need in our minds, like this man in that parable. 
One last word. Philip Yancey writes in his book, Why Such an Amazing Grace? He said, at least I understand in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to give even and leave all issues of fairness to God to work out. That same kind of thought comes to us in Colossians chapter 3, when it says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, that would be us, holy, dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. The key, just as the Lord has forgiven us.